We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the uh, Arsenal Vision World Cup post-match podcast, whatever we're calling it these days. Uh, I'm Paul Posnan uh, on Twitter, Posnan in my pants, um, and with me today is Phil. Hello, Phil. Hey, Paul. How's it going? It's going great. That's uh, Phil underscore Costa. Is that right, Phil? Is that the correct? At underscore Phil Costa. Yeah. There hey. we go. There you go. That's how to find him. But you already know that because in some ways I'm the guest here and Phil's Mr. Regular. But anyway, we had um, a uh, an injury in the warm-up. Uh, Lewis couldn't make it today. Um, feeling a bit sick under the weather, apparently. I haven't heard the details. Might have something to to do with his challenges in the bedroom department that I've been helping him with recently. I don't know. I'm just – that's speculation on my part, but – I think it's pretty safe speculation. So, yeah, Lewis, slide into my DMs if you need any more coaching in that particular area. Might have uh, pulled a muscle somewhere there, overdoing it on some of the diagrams I sent him. But I'm sure it'll all sort itself out in time, and he'll be back soon enough. Uh, might n- miss a game or two. Along have I, have I missed something here? <laughs> <laughs> I've come into that completely cold. <laughs> really? Um, the last one I was on with him... And I think it was Elliot. And uh, I don't know. I just started drifting in. He he got married, of course. And he like, did. He did. And there's something I always have this thing when I talk to younger fellas that I feel the ner- the need to talk to them about their their sex lives and stuff on the basis that I obviously have a lot of experience to bring. Not that I've done a lot of it or I'm particularly good at it. I've just done it in many decades. <laughs> over time and i feel i feel of i have a little wisdom in that department uh phil uh you know if you have any questions uh, like i probably won't be able to answer them but i i really like hearing the questions so uh yeah you know give me the details i'll have a stab at it that's what i'll say I'll have okay a stab with at some it. with some context that helps a bit so you're the yeah. the, the luca modric of the bedroom <laughs> um <laughs> cross decades yeah, yeah but yeah. terrible 
terrible. Unlike Luka Modric, who's okay. well, I don't know what he's like in the bedroom. I mean, you're the football expert there, Phil. But uh, yeah, if you're talking about his foot, his on pitch performance, no, I'm terrible, absolutely terrible. I'm uh, I'm some guy in a pub team, but um, yeah, but I'm willing. You know, I'm always willing. That's the important thing. <laughs> Thanks for for asking, Phil. Uh, Let me just check that we're recording this gold. We are. Okay, right. (laughs) Let's talk some actual football, Phil, if you're you're willing to let that topic go for a minute. We'll get some football into this thing. Absolutely. Um, Right, so we've decided our reverse order is is how we'll do this. So we've just watched. um, It's just as well we're doing it in reverse order, so it's top of mind because I can barely remember who we just watched. We just watched uh, Uruguay versus Portugal. And for me, there was a certain natural justice to this game, a certain karma. Uh, for Like, I watched the World Cup in a very, I don't, I'm not particularly an analytical or critical. I'm just there to enjoy the vibes, the fun. That's how I've been watching this World Cup. For me, Uruguay played a lot of coward ball ball there for a team that needed some points. Now, mm-hmm. catchy, catchy, slowly, uh, catchy, and all that kind of stuff. But like, you can overdo it. And I think they had, they got kind of what was coming to them. But we intimated while we were chatting before this that one of us was fired up about that penalty and its injustice, and one of us wasn't. Um. I'm not a big one for arguing about penalties, but I don't mind arguing about other teams' penalties, other games' penalties. I thought that was a terrible decision. Apparently, they uh, Peter Walden did a little commentary on it, and he was at least sympathetic to my view. He was talking about subjective. You know, he didn't like to go two-footed in on any referees, so he was talking about subjective and blah. blah. He says the rule about uh, how, you, you know, if your arm's breaking your fall. Now, I agree it was a bit soft on the breaking your fall, like, but I did think it was a straight down breaking the fall, not deliberate. Like, I was incensed on behalf of Uruguay that the referee had inserted himself into this game on whatever it was about 92 minutes. That was a terrible decision, even though the rule change has gone away that just because you're putting your arm down. I think obviously people start to abuse it and and like situate. So it's left to the ju- the uh, referees' um, good graces. But I still think, in the spirit of, of that original ruling, this is very much the the prime case of a guy putting his arm down for one reason. He's fallen backwards, and it hit his arm. Good play by I think it was Fernandez, which hurts mm-hmm. me to compliment any man on the dribble. It was the second best dribble in this game. We'll get to, back to the penalty in a second after I make my little uh, semi joke about Bentan Kerr's dribble. Um, it was really good dribble, but Matt Turner would have finished that. Uh, <laughs> did you hear the commentators? I think it was Ali McCoyst and some other fella, um, and they were all. And then at the halftime, it was everybody was like, "He can't miss from there." Of course, he can miss from there. Uh, his momentum would take him around the co- the keeper, or he just needed to clip the 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 uh, goalie. I thought it was a little harsh on him, but um, yeah, a, a good dribble there. Second best dribble was Fernandez for the penalty, but you didn't have the same heat are fortunate it's only uruguay and and i have accused them at coward ball so I, I i won't have too much heat in our but i was incensed phil i thought it was a terrible decision no I, I, to be fair i wasn't i mean when watching in real time i i thought 
that looks a penalty um, because I know he didn't he didn't mean it obviously, but ultimately his hand stops the ball um, from from Bruno Fernandez being through on goal. You know, and for me that was a pretty clear criteria to be a penalty. I've since learned. Uh, you know, everyone's got their rule book out and the screenshots and why it shouldn't be a penalty. And, and fair enough, it's, if it's been changed by IFAB, you know, um, and if the hand, I guess the hand is technically supporting the body in that situation because you need to land somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so ultimately my instincts were wrong. But in real time, I, I, I didn't think... You know, I was wondering why they weren't going to check it because to me it looked like a penalty. Does he stop the ball from progressing? Yes, with his hand. Yes. Is Bruno Fernandez probably going to score? Yes. It seemed like it ticked all the boxes for me, but I've since learned that that I'm wrong. Although, you know, I like you said, I I don't understand the uproar. I think the you know, the the referee and obviously the VAR team have obviously made the wrong decision there in correspondence with current rules which is quite embarrassing for a world cup really but i don't think it had too much um effect on the game should we say yeah see this is why i hate opinions and i also hate the football as a game of opinions because like you and i saw the same things we have the same facts i can't disagree with anything but i want you to see it differently even though (laughs) it's like football i hate it it's it's so it's an interpretive art form but anyway like you say at that stage their goose was probably cooked the only thing i'd say about that is and this uh, i quite like the i'm still working out whether i like this loads of extra time business uh because i think they had nine minutes and this was two minutes in so that another seven minutes and they were actually mm-hmm. trying to play some non-coward ball and uh had been doing some attacking and like not that they would have deserved a draw out of this, if you ask me. That's my nat- natural justice part of it. They had a, sh- you know, they absolutely had the time to get back into it. Um, and it did cause them, so it did put it out of reach. But on the other hand, screw them. They, as I said, did play coward ball. But that's the- what I mean. Why, yeah. why wait until the 75th minute to start playing? You know, yeah. I understand Uruguay are going to Uruguay, but they have more than enough talent on that pitch to cause Portugal some problems. And it didn't need, you know, the last 15 minutes to do that because the fullbacks were so advanced the whole game. And then they realized, hmm, maybe we can get in behind Rafael Guerrero. And they did. And they started to make some chances. I mean, I know they hit the post. But ultimately, your destiny is in your own hands. And even if the decision is wrong, you know, yeah. you also have to be responsible for a bit of your own luck at the end. So, For more than half the game, they had one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, which the Ben Tancor one. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I, I would have to say is shite for a team that, you know, uh, they need points out of this game. They're, mm-hmm. they're screwed now, aren't they? Basically. They're not screwed. They're not screwed, but they... They've they got one a draw. Yeah, right? they're on one point. Um, so, and they yeah. play Ghana in, in the last yeah. game. Yeah, so they've got a game on their hands. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a feisty one. There's a lot yeah. of history there. So, um, I mean, actually, to be honest, I like that there's a lot at stake on match day three. I, I was speaking yeah, yeah, with yeah. Elliot this week, and 
we love that there's a, still a lot to play for going into match day three because it really makes for a, an, an amazing final day, you know? Yeah. And like any game that isn't a dead rubber, I know this is kind of a tautology or a truism, but it, there won't be that many dead rubbers. But like any game that isn't a dead rubber is going to be lit. And there's mm-hmm. a few of them coming up here. And a few of them have beef in them. So we'll talk about them a little bit. Apparently, they, how, do, how do they have beef? They're halfway around the world from you. Oh, they have football beef. Oh, okay. Uh, the best <laughs> they have kind. previous, yeah. Well, <laughs> is it really? But, uh, well, actually, the best kind is when you have a bit of both, like the USA, Iran, on and off the pitch. So uh, <laughs> they have history. They have some beef. Um, but let's let's sort out our problems on the football pitch, not off it, everybody out there. Um like, uh, I'm just looking through my new notes for this game. So, like, there was a hell of a lot of... <laughs> I was obsessed with Cristiano Ronaldo, apparently, which might make you think he had a great game. I don't know if he did or not. I'm so biased against him, I couldn't tell you. But I've got uh, the the shoulder flick that they were absolutely going bananas over. That was mm-hmm. the first thing he did. Then... Uh, uh, he, he did two step overs. He looked one with each leg. Remember the old days, the early days with Ronaldo with all those step overs and everybody was like, oh, he's incredible. Oh, look. And then he'd like put in a bad cross or something or have a shot from 40 yards out for Man United when he was 21 years old. He does two step overs in a row. He looks feckin' exhausted. He barely got his legs over the ball with either one of them. Then we have the free kick off the wall which is the best kind of free kick from him now, because at least that stops him ballooning it. He has the grimace face after it hits the free, the, the wall, because like it was definitely going in. Uh, he has the chest trap in the box. They were all oohing and ahhing about that. I mean, it was, you know, it was good. And then there's the goal that uh, apparently he doesn't actually manage to flick on. I mean, there's no way he touches that. I've seen the replays, <laughs> and he's still claiming it. They were saying on German TV that he's still trying to claim the goal, but I've seen it from three or four different angles, and there's no way he touches it. He's such a no baby. He's yeah, such a Kane-esque. Baby. Yeah. Has he got any, you know, can he swear on his, you know, anybody's life, any dogs, any cats, any grandmas? Um, it's just, yeah. I mean, he's obviously going to try and get it, but for me, there's, there's no way. No way. Now, fair, fair no. play to him. He's good at that kind of thing, or he used to be until a month or two ago. I don't know if you, you know, suddenly you fall off that. It, this was the age cliff uh, derby, and it can happen at any moment. I think it may have happened a month or two ago for, for him. You have Cavani, you have um, Luis Suarez uh, chomping at the bit, no pun intended, to get on the pitch, uh, which he eventually does. Uh, like fair play to Ronaldo, it looked like he had knocked that into the net, but by 97 different angles, he hadn't. So the assist is actually the goal for Fernandez. I found this quite a lot in this game. I've been like delighted that something didn't work out for Ronaldo meant it was great for Bruno Fernandez that it did. And he's my second most annoying player in the Premier League. Um, and I was delighted as well when the Peno came along. I, I bet, uh, back to your rule bi- book, I bet Ronaldo was there trying to get the rule book out to work out how does he get back on the pitch as a sub for that penalty. Roll on, roll off, Sunday league style. Um, <laughs> you could yeah. you could just tell the the smile was covering a thousand feelings. Um, yeah. he, he wasn't happy for Bruno, I'm sure. But, you know, I, to be honest, I thought Bruno was there 
their best attacking player today. Yeah. Um, I thought Joao Felix had some moments, but he was again, drifting in and out. Um, so I think in terms of bringing end product and final ball, he's, you know, he's probably one of the best in Europe as annoying as it is. Um, and again, I think he's, he's had four goal contributions already this tournament. So he's obviously in good form. Um, and he tucks the penalty away very nicely as well. So look, I don't think Ronaldo was terrible at the end, but it's just, there is a sense of him really trying hard to prove people wrong and it's, and it's just not working. Yeah. Um, and 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 there's there's a sense that the commentators were like, like anything he does. I'm not saying some of this stuff wasn't quite good, but like the, okay, guys, don't go overboard just because Ronaldo did mm -hmm. something with some skill. Uh, there's no critique of him. I mean, there can be, but in this game, there's no critique of him. It's all like, oh, look, he did a thing, which is fine. So how good do you think Portugal can be uh, in this competition? You know, you, we'll, we'll maybe talk, well, we will talk about Brazil in a minute, but how good can they get? And, and how good did you think they were in this game? Maybe it was just my Ronaldo obsession. Uh, obviously, I think... Uh, think of certain players here i thought i agree with you fernandez was actually really good in this game he was the guy who stitched it together um you know silva's really good uh cancello's really good and they both did really good things in this game they probably did a bunch more stuff i wasn't noticing because i was i was uh chewing my arm off about the last thing ronaldo annoyed me with but how good do you think they actually were in this game beyond uruguay doing uh kind of sitting back in and how good do you think they can get in this? I think the comforting thing for Portugal is that they can still go up a level or two. Naturally, Fernando Santos, you know, he's been in charge of Portugal for basically my whole life. And, you know, guess what? He's conservative as a manager. You know, it's no surprise to anybody that he likes stability. He's not going to throw on all of his attacking players just for the sake of it. Um, and they are, you know, blessed in, in those areas. Um, I mean, they'll find a way this, this team strikes me as a team that will find a way due to the sheer quality in their ranks, you know, but it's quite amazing that they've got a 39 year old Pepe playing at center back who I thought was really good today, actually. Um, but I just think they've got so much talent across the pitch that even if they aren't exactly Brazil, 1982, in terms of, um, expression and cohesion, they can still find a moment of quality from somewhere that can make a difference. And in terms of defensive side, they are solid enough to keep most teams out. So for sure, for me, they're one of the top four or five teams in this tournament. Yeah. Honestly, I thought you'd be even more enthusiastic about them, you know, given that they're England's oldest ally uh, since the (laughs) Treaty of Windsor 1350. Actually, it goes back to uh, when the the English in the Crusades helped them out in Lisbon from from a certain ethnic group. We won't get into all of that, but a different ethnic group, England helped them out. And since then, they've basically an unbroken uh, line of allyship with the English against, uh, well, I'm going to say it, the Muslims, the Spanish, the French, the Germans, the Falklands. They were there in the darkest of times uh, by your side. So I expected just a little bit more from you there, Phil. Um, but let's not get into politics. This is the World Cup of not politics, so we'll skip that. Um, any other big takeaways from this one before we pivot to uh, 
our friends of Brazil who also speak yeah, just Portuguese. just to kind of we we touched on it, but just a kind of general disappointment, I think, from Uruguay who. Yeah are always going to be the team that doesn't want to concede, you know, will always be strong defensively and, and set up compact and, and, you know, try and catch a few things on the break. But I just think they've got talent in this side, you know, even if yeah. they're, they're star they players. they one of the dark horses? I mean, they were my dark horse. Oh, they okay. were my dark horse. Um, <laughs> and I just felt, you know, it could be a, they could be a sneaky shout with a few players coming to the end and a couple of good players coming through. But I don't know that they they restrict Valverde. They keep him too deep, and then you know they, they have Matias Vecino playing, who is just the most vanilla midfielder in the world. When they've got some nice options on the bench, and I don't know, I felt like they're just holding back. Um, and when they did start to play a bit, they caused Portugal some problems. And it was like, why don't you, you know, have a go earlier? But we don't know what what they've practiced or how how they've trained in you know behind the scenes but i just had a little bit of you know too little too late from them which is a shame yeah they they can obviously play they've obviously got uh players of quality who have done it i kind of understood the let's keep suarez on on the bench for later kind of thing i'm like oh maybe that's a bit crafty i kind of didn't get that they played cavani then i mean if you're going to sit back and and like I know he can do all sorts of things. He can drop in. He can pick up the ball. But it's like they didn't really use him to do that in the end. Mm-hmm. He was he was a bit of a like if you're gonna see it out for a while and then unleash unleash the very old and tired dogs of hell later on, then then maybe do that. But give yourself maybe something uh, another option, another wor- workhorse who can run around and press and maybe save Cavani and Suarez for later on in the game, depending on how it's. Anyway, uh, I thought there was some craft there, but in the end, it was just kind of dull, uninspiring. There was some karma for the coward ball, and they're in a lot of trouble. Um, but yeah, go England's ally. That's what I say. Um, all right, let's uh, pivot to um, our friends uh, in Brazil uh, and their uh, game against our boy. Granit Xhaka's Switzerland. Um, Switzerland were a bit vanilla for me, a bit meh for, like, I've seen them play some good football. This felt very much like, at least from Switzerland's side, a a game two of three kind of game of maybe we'll, we're not going to kill ourselves here. Maybe we'll get a draw, but but we're not going to do anything crazy. Maybe if we don't, get them too riled up they won't try and play too hard because they're in good shape too i mean it's you know it's two teams coming into it on three points maybe <laughs> i felt it was switzerland well they are the swiss you know uh, neutrality and all that maybe if we don't start a fight they won't start a fight and we we it kind of played out that way uh, the game didn't break out till till later on but then it did um was there a what was the psychological psychological element in this that meant it didn't re- really get going for a while, if that's how you saw it? I don't really know if Switzerland were vanilla, to be fair. I just thought they'd do what they do, you know, like yeah. Uruguay do what they do. I just think Switzerland are a very professional, experienced team who know how to manage these kind of games and situations, you know, I, it, First of all, Brazil were moving the ball very slowly in the first half, so it yeah. made it easy for them to just kind of keep their shape, 
pick their moments, you know, whether that's solely down to the absence of, of Neymar, who knows, but there were only a couple of moments really where maybe Vinicius got in on the left where they had any kind of penetration. I thought Lucas Paqueta was lost mm. in the num- in the number 10 role and, and obviously Chite agreed with me as well because he hooked him at half time. Um, but Neymar someone that can kind of really force things in the centre and I just think they lacked that. And, you know, Switzerland are very strong in midfield with Granit Xhaka, Remo Freuler, Gibral So and and, you know, they didn't need to to do much to to contain them, you know. Yeah. Um, so you know what a shock! It turns out that Brazil losing their best player for the last ten years doesn't, in fact, make them better, as some suggested this week. So, mm. well, unfortunately, I might have been one. Of, God, we're really going at each other with two footed <laughs> on all these times. So I was one of those who had talked myself a bit like I absolutely talked myself into the Giro uh, ahead of Benzema would be the tonic that allowed the the French team to kind of coalesce around a clear plan. And I, de- like, I definitely talked myself into the, you know, Neymar, great player and all that, but because everything's about servicing him, it's the, it's, I don't know what the right expression is. I'm going to go with addition by subtraction, but it's absolutely not the right expression here. So don't think about that. That, that despite all this talent, removing him would free up the others to play. Now, I'm, I'm going to argue that so I'm not I not not actually sure it's there's any merit to it at this point but I'm going to stick with it for a bit longer this was a game two in three games maybe that's why it was so kind of tepid slow I mean just because Neymar isn't up front doesn't mean you can't work out like I know it's all about servicing Neymar and he's not on the pitch but still the center back should be able to pick somebody to pass to because that person doesn't wasn't going to be Neymar anyway Neymar is further up the pitch you can pick pick out somebody else just because he's not on the pitch. And they were so slow in so kind of, it really did feel like they were filling in time. And then to be fair in the first game, which was much better with Brazil in some ways, they only really got going when Neymar came off or around the 70 minute mark. And, you know, just because it's the, the wet streets don't cause rain. I will grant you that. But like, and again, late on in this game, Brazil decided to play actual real football and start really knocking it around. Um, but don't you think Brazil have a way of playing well without Neymar too? Um, I mean, they did kind of in this game. They worked out how to play well later on without uh, Neymar on, uh, without uh, Neymar on the pitch. But uh, go on, let me have it. Why? Why am I? wrong to think that magical forces without Neymar will will create the creativity that they lack without him. No, I mean, obviously they can play well with Neymar. We saw it, like you said, but I just felt they were kind of figuring things out in the first 45 minutes and Switzerland are a very defensively astute team, you know? So it's not easy. It's not easy to break them down. And I just think what Neymar brings to the side, Paquetar was not able to replicate in that position. You know, he's usually yeah. playing deeper for Brazil. And with Fred there in midfield as well, they just didn't have enough penetration in central areas. However, half time, they bring on Rodrigo and he, he looked livelier. He was able to get closer to Richarlison. They brought on Bruno Guimaraes as well, who's much more uh, competent in a two way role than Fred, I think, even though Chite likes Fred. And then they started to play, you know. Um, I thought defensively Brazil were excellent. 
particularly uh, Thiago Silva and Marquinhos, who were just heading everything away. Uh, when Switzerland did get into wide areas, they were looking to cross a lot, but it was just easy for them. Um, and eventually they they broke them down. So that, that was ultimately what they were looking for. And it, even though it came from some an unlikely source, shall we say, I mean, yeah. Uh, it's a very unlikely source, but uh, and what a way it was to to win the game. I mean, the technique on that strike was was gorgeous, um, and we had well, a perfect he, angle of it behind the He's actually a bit goal. of a baller, isn't he? When he, he is, mm-hmm. when he, and Guimarães coming on meant somebody else maybe shouldered a bit of the mm-hmm. double pivot responsibility. And like when you come from deep, you're the free man. It's like when the centre back decides to drivel up up the pitch you're he's going to be a free man you know matt turner when your goalkeeper decides to take on the <laughs> guess what you got it you got the the thing we're all searching for the the holy grail a free man in midfield going into the attacking third and you know we've seen it's no surprise when chaka does that anymore but or but any guy that it's the beauty of the full backs as well when they drift in field and their winger doesn't know to go with them or not. Like you just have this, and he's like, he's free, he's through, and the guy is a baller. Um, and you know, if Modric or Cruz were on the pitch, he wouldn't have bothered. He would have just shovel passed it to them and let them do the thing. But they weren't, and it didn't seem like the attackers were going to do anything up till that point. I guess my one solace in this this game, I, like I'm put, I'm pretty much pulling for Brazil in this as long as they fulfill their footballing abilities and and do the good stuff on the pitch um i'm i'm torn like many on richarlison especially now that uh stillman has told us he's a really good guy and he's kind to his mom and he does charitable works and he's he's empathetic we'll leave the politics alone but he's empathetic on in his outlook on the world um i I gotta say on his worldy finish in the last game um it's a worldy finish because the only way that that ball gets on target after the world's worst first touch is with a worldy finish. Uh, he had a terrible first touch in this game too that bobbled uh, ba- basically out when he was in great shape. Um, but uh, Gabrielle got on, got to play a little football. We didn't see Martinelli, uh, Martinelli so much. Um, they They... I guess they're pretty safe. Well, they are safe at this point, so they don't need to sweat too much. But if Neymar and it gives them a chance to get your buddy Neymar rested, so I guess he's a good chance of getting himself all straight and ship shape. I'd heard two games, but I haven't heard the latest on that. Um, so I guess they'll be okay to get him back, unless you've heard some, something else. But uh, I guess it was it would have been interesting to see how they lined up for the next game if it was a super competitive fixture but now i guess they'll they'll rain all ring all the changes now uh they'll be kind of like just getting people some minutes and getting people a rest um i would have been interested to see if T- Chite had a way of fixing how his 11 was playing without neymar and you know maybe they'll find that in the next game maybe you can experiment maybe he does need to find that solution and so he needs to put out not that he wasn't going to put out a, a serious team, but it'll be a little less give all the guys the minutes and maybe just a little more, let's see how we play. Let's get a good working 11 without Neymar. I don't know what your your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I think game three is now 
for experimentation. You know, the, yeah. it wasn't, um, fluid one touch Jogo Bonito Brazil today, but ultimately they're through, um, you know, they won the game, they're through, they're, they're safe, they're qualified. They don't have to worry about the next game. You know, there'll be no complaints for them tonight. And, and like you said, the next game can, can lend itself to, to some experimentation, whether they change five, six, seven, you know, get some legs and some, you know, get some minutes and some legs, maybe some players that we haven't seen so much of yet. You know, they're in a good position. I, I, I won't, I, I don't think there'll be too many complaints about the performance. Look, ultimately, sometimes you have to grind some games out and Switzerland are not easy to break down. That's how I saw it. And if it's, you know, gives them another game to, to try and get Neymar back and fit and ready, that's, that's all they care about. So it's, uh, it is what it is. You know, they're through, they're into the next round. They can put their feet up a bit and, and the country and the players and the squad and the manager will be feeling pretty good about themselves, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and to your point, I think Switzerland were very professional and pretty decent. As always. As, as always. always. Yeah. Um, not the most exciting looking 11 in terms of individual names and profiles, but their next game is going to be, uh, you know, back to the beef topic. It's them versus Serbia. Xhaka uh, mm. has Xhaka and Serbia have a little history. Uh, is Shakiri still around in kick? And he played the first game, but he, he, was he? I, I think he had a knock. This. I think he had a, a yeah. little knock. Yeah, that well, kept him out of this one. Hopefully, they got him uh, <laughs> fired up for the Serbia game. That could be a cracker. That that game will have more beef than Rabio's mom and Mbappe's dad. Um, so it'll be good to see that one kick off. Um, but that's going to be a crunch match for like both of them. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a, a big one. And yeah. I'm not going to miss that for sure. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously Serbia played Cameroon to pivot to the, the latter couple of games in no particular order. Um, that was the 4 a.m. my time game mm-hmm. they're going to get the quality of analysis they deserve from me based on having the uh the impropriety to start a game at 4 a.m tell tell me what i should know about that game apart from it looks like it should have been a cracker it was it was ap- absolute madness and, and everything a world cup game should be i mean it was end-to-end not an ounce of defending just pure vibes you know um compounded by the fact that Andre Onana had a disagreement with a coach and was, uh, you know, already out of the squad for disciplinary reasons. And I mean, that's, you know, that's what you want. Some backstory, you know, a bit of, a bit of something going into the game. And, you know, luckily for Serbia, they did, they had Kostic back in the side and they looked much better, albeit against weaker opposition. Um, but they had all of the early play, all of the chances. And then all of a sudden, Cameroon just went up the other end and scored, you know, from a set piece. Um, and it kind of kicked them into action. But thankfully for them, Cameroon are, are not the most defensively inclined. Uh, and they seem to give Serbia the space of the pitch to kind of do whatever they wanted. And like you said, with the talent they've got, Sergei Milinkovic, Savic, Kostic, Mitrovic, it was only going to be a matter of time before they broke through. And I just loved... Cameroon's defensive line. I mean, it was a disaster all game, you know, and it was first half injury time. They just conceded the equaliser. 
And somehow Serbia were allowed to be 4v3 on the edge of their box, um, allowing Milinkovic Savic to score. And I just thought, that's great. That's brilliant. Um, maybe not for their manager, but I, I loved it. Every time I looked away from the screen, the commentator was shouting something. So um, did you see their third goal as well? Did you did you catch the, the third Serbia goal? No. It is a brilliant, brilliant team move. Um from back to front, it was one of those ones. We Arsenal scored one against, I think it was Slavia Prague, um, a long, long time ago. I think Eduardo was the scorer, but it was one that just got worked across the box where Fabregas cut it back again and Eduardo slotted it in. And I was like, just a lot of good decision making in a very short space of time. You know, they they were waiting for the angle, waiting for the best man to be in the best position. Mitrovic slots it away and I thought this is going to be four, five, six, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't at all. And Cameroon inspired by their, their old man, Vincent Abubakar, another really good goal. I mean, this is a, I don't even know if you can call this a dink. It was a scoop. Um, and they thought it was offside, but it wasn't. And then they managed to get another one, another horrible, horrible high line, totally mad. You know, Serbia even had chances to win it late on. And I'm amazed that Vlavic didn't even come off the bench. Um, but like you said, it's set up really, really nicely for match day three um, for Serbia and Switzerland now. And that has potential to be an absolute bloodbath. Yeah, I don't think I'm even going to watch the highlights on that. I think I'm going to live with your description of it because um, it sounds like a, a a hell of a narrative back and forward. Tell me more about the Yonana thing, because I, I only half caught the story. There was some talk about uh, frustrations over distribution that Onana <laughs> thinks his, play, his uh, players should be able to actually play out from the back. And that's not... It was about his distribution, actually. Yeah. It was about his own... Because there were, there were moments in the, in the last game where Onana was basically playing in defensive midfield you know, ahead of his centre-backs, trying to urge his team on, trying to fire teammates into better positions. And now, are we rigor- sure that he's... I know he had a nine-month layoff for drugs. And, are we sure he's he's actually fully off them at this point? <laughs> Do you he's remember? high on the World Cup, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, we were... I don't... Do you remember... My, when you go back to these things, you think, ah, oh, well, it was never really that big a deal. But, like, we were absolutely convinced Onana was almost coming to Arsenal, maybe, possibly, and like everybody was wound up about it and frustrated and why wasn't the club doing this or maybe it was never on or how do you know that? Like, there was a time there was a Yan M. Villa thing going about Onana and if it was like, of course, we didn't have the goalkeeping options then that we thought that we do now, but like, it seemed like... At least fifty percent of us, and I was, you know, I was pretty geeked about Onana. I didn't really know anything about him, but he sounded, he sounded like exactly the kind of thing you wanted. Apart from, um, I did have a bit of an issue with somebody who might be on a nine-month uh, or longer suspension for uh, performance-enhancing drugs. That's been very poorly explained, but we weren't supposed to worry about that. I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a choir boy when it comes to that stuff, but uh, like. Onana, what, it's not just my hazy recollection. It was a big deal at one stage, almost. 
Yeah, no. yeah. Arsenal, Arsenal were pushing, and for a yeah. very low fee as well. I think there was even like four million pounds. Yeah, because he was coming up on stage. a free practically, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how he joined Inter in the end. Um, yeah. And you know, I think it was initially a twelve-month ban that got reduced to nine because he was deemed, um, you know, it was an accident. It was an accident. He took a, <laughs> sure. he took something without without realizing. <laughs> So, so yeah, but I think he's an excellent keeper, but it was just yeah. funny because Rigobert Song basically said, stay in goal. And he said, no, um, and he's going home. So <laughs> he's I'll done a Roy Keane. If he's your outfield players do what they need to do, and if they don't, I'm coming out. But uh, yeah, he seems like a lively one. So I don't know if he really fits our, but he would have been fun, I guess, if you like that kind of thing. Um Right, so that that was fun. And another one that was at least ended fun, because I saw the last 20 minutes or so, was uh, our friend who was a Ghana and Korea. Mm-hmm. South Korea, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this much. Looking across the the supporters now, I, I guess Ghana were having the better part of for, for most of the game, but the Korean supporters were apoplectic in a existential crisis and like then suddenly they score and like they go the other way and like the Ghanaians are having fun and it's good and it, oh it's a it oh hang on they tied us so we won't we won't dance quite so loud and then they go ahead again and the Koreans are like they're like doing they're like tears there's like it's the end um, yeah so there was quite the contrast in in the terraces but uh, hell of a game I didn't. I guess come into it expect that Korea would be the Kieran Tierney launching thirty crosses into uh, <laughs> their their not the tallest uh, team in the world that seemed to be their go to plan, but they actually maybe nearly pulled it off in terms of getting the tie in the in the last whatever uh, eight nine minutes of extra time they had, um, but it still seemed like Ghana were worth the win, right? I would say just, I mean, just. it was a, another really unbelievable game. You know, I was worried a bit for Ghana after the first 20 minutes because they couldn't get a kick. Yeah. I mean, they were completely penned in by South Korea who were spider monkeys the ball. coming at them. Yeah. Like spider monkeys popping the ball about neat little passages of play contributions around the penalty box. Um, and then Ghana went up the other end and scored from a set piece, kind of similar to how Cameroon did it. Um, an excellent delivery from Jordan Ayew, to be fair, and, and Salasu was there to, to put it away. And then from that point on, it was all Ghana. You know, they were threatening on the break every time. Parties, Thomas Party started to control things a bit in the middle because before he was just kind of occupying space. Um, but then after that, he was getting on the ball, doing those little dummies and no touch turns. There was a brilliant one he did on Hyun Min Son, completely sold him. Um, and then, and then they scored another. You know, Mohamed Kudus. He's really staking his claim at this at this World Cup. A glancing header. He's he's such a good player. Um, you know, he can play eight, ten, right wing behind the striker. He's just such a complete footballer. And Everton were very close to signing him last summer. And I, I bet you he's glad that didn't go through because I think the caliber of club looking at him now is much higher than Everton. So. Um, but then it went the other way again. You know, Kang In Lee came on for South Korea and then it was a story of two crosses. You know, you mentioned them before. 
that they were spamming them into the box, but then it was, you know, two crosses at, at the end who set up Cho and, you know, the defending was terrible from Ghana that I was watching and, and mm. cringing because, well, I mean, the marking from, from Salasu and Tarek Lamptey was, was awful. But, and you just thought all their hard work has been undone, you know, and, and they somehow pulled it, pulled it out of the bag despite some incredible South Korea pressure. I mean, there was bodies flying, there was blocked shots off the line, there was, it was mad. Mad, yeah. mad, mad. And, you know, there was nearly 11 minutes of injury time. But they managed to survive. And thankfully, Kudus could could score again. And it was a, a wonderful assist from Inyaki Williams, who who tried his best to mimic Danny Welbeck um, by completely mishitting the ball. So I loved it. This, this, is a, this is what World Cup football should be. No KG nil-nils, please, at FIFA. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm it was tired. great stuff. I only saw the, the 20 minutes. seemed like a whole bunch of stuff had kicked off before it. The commentator once says, at one point, said, I think he said it about Wu Young, something like, that guy's been everywhere today. And I'm thinking, is that because there's two guys called Wu Young on the team? Uh, well, there's five Kims yeah. um, in defense. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, maybe he just doesn't know that much about the Korean team and he thinks the guy's been all over the place. Um but like I did think technically they were really good pinging the ball around. Mm-hmm. Uh, very clean, very quick on the ball, uh, nicely laid out patterns, distributing their players around. Uh, they did look to be pretty good, but th- it's going to be tight for them to make the qualifications, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think they would on. need they, – they play Portugal in the last yeah. game. Um, I mean, it's – it's very unlikely that they progress, uh, it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, uh, you know, they're they're not they're not going to play like Portugal or like uh, Uruguay. They're not going to play uh, or leave the opportunities open like maybe Ghana did against them. And mm-hmm. may, maybe you know Portugal. You know they got their six points. They can play kind of conservative. Um, this. I mean, it's possible. It's on. Um, I guess the problem it is, is on. It, they're not out yet. Uh, yeah. Although I've, I very much enjoyed Hyun Min Son having next to zero influence across these two games. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I saw a tweet that someone wrote, and it said Hyun Min Son is the only player to get worse with a mask on. Usually, everyone <laughs> gets plus ten attributes, and he's <laughs> he's declined. <laughs> Um, and I enjoyed that. Yeah, I take my pleasures where I can. I guess uh, Uruguay would have to beat Ghana. That would give Uruguay four points. They don't have great goal difference, so that does leave... I can't remember how all the goal difference and who faced whom plays off, but assuming goal difference first, then if South Korea can beat Portugal and Uruguay, they, you know... I mean, they have to win. They have to beat Portugal, and yeah. by some margin, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess a, a tie with Uruguay Ghana. Uh, Ghana's got a lot of goal differences, a problem, and a lot of goals for. So probably Uruguay has to beat Ghana, or mm-hmm. South Korea has to absolutely smash Portugal. Uh, but it won't be a dead rubber game. South Korea will go for it, and uh, I guess depending on what mood Portugal's in, could be uh, could be tasty too. Um, okay, so we'll we'll wrap in a couple. A couple of minutes here. Um, 
we got England and the US playing tomorrow against England against Wales. Uh, a fine old rivalry. Uh, is there another uh, fantastic Gareth Bale moment left in him? An Aaron Ramsey late arrival into the box to to ruin the day. Uh, will England play with some panache? Uh, what do you? Let's talk about England. What do you think the? What fix would you like? To, maybe you're perfectly fine with how they're approaching tournament football, and it's just Southgate Bowl, second game of a three-game series. But what's your preference for how you want to see England maybe play tomorrow and play generally? The Foden question, maybe the the setup generally, like. Are you okay with it and you just think it's tournament football and they'll start to kick in a bit? What do they need to do to rival, at least for me, Brazil and France, who I think are the standout candidates? I think it's difficult because you always look close to home, but it's easy to forget that France have kind of struggled a bit through games. Brazil have gone in and out. You know, it's very difficult to maintain free-flowing football for 90 minutes, no, no matter who you're playing. Um, for me, I, I don't see a huge issue with Mason Mount. I think he's played well generally under Southgate, but in terms of talent and creativity, obviously Foden is the better player, but I don't think he's a Mount like for like replacement. I think he's more of a Sterling or a Saka like for like replacement. So, you know, I think he's going to make changes. I think Carl Walker is going to come in for Kieran Trippier. I think Henderson's going to come in for Jude Bellingham. I think Foden will come in for Saka, you know, but he'll keep starting Harry Kane until his ankles, you know, dangling off. Um, but I, I, look, Wales will be up for it. I'm, I'm sure of that. I'm certain of it. I just don't think they've got enough there. I mean, yeah. Bale is, is a shadow of what he was. Aaron Ramsey, the same, you know, and I think England should have enough to, to beat them regardless of, of whether they're at their best or not. I think the USA were a unique proposition or opposition the other day because they're very young and energetic in midfield. But I I just don't see enough from Wales, unfortunately. So I think England, even though it might be a struggle at times, it it will be a battle. They'll they'll come through it, I think. Well, you say that, but wait till uh, Wales get Michael Sheen in at halftime to do the team (laughs) talk and send them out. Jesus, even the English guys will be helping him out to... uh, put a ball in their own net um yeah i think you're right uh they should have too much uh when they get onto the latter stages of the tournaments do you see brazil and and france as the standouts at the moment in terms of the potential to kind of set the level are you there with I would, me on I would france? say i would say brazil france and spain um i think yeah. spain have looked excellent and they they look like Spain. You know, we've spoken with Elliot about that. This is kind of the Spain we know and remember in terms of the pressing, in terms of the fluidity. So I think those three are the, yeah. Do you think they have along along with England enough teeth up front? I'm doing teeth gestures with my fingers here. (laughs) Teeth. Uh, I think that's, uh, what the, 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 uh, no, uh, the Holy grail with the rabbit. Um, do you think I they think have enough? So. I mean, they've scored seven. They've scored seven in one game, you know. Yeah. So, which is, I know it's an anomaly, but you know, no one else has got close to that. So, yeah. um, okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, England did, but you know, I think it's those four: England, Spain, Brazil, uh, France at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if Morata sticks in a couple more, then I guess they got teeth and a player who really stretches your back line. Mm. Um, so, and I guess they can dip in and out of Morata as the game demands. So, but uh, I guess for me, for whatever reasons, Brazil and France are the two I peg, and I, I, I guess I'm wondering if I think Spain's there yet. Maybe it is. Um, and then we got. Um, USA, Iran. Iran seems to, like, you could imagine their heads not being quite right for the first game. And they certainly played a little f- football in the second game, of course, helped by a Hennessy mad moment. He must have seen the Ma- Matt Turner incident, though I think that happened in a game after his. But he he felt that coming on, was inspired by it, and, and came out of his box and took out their player. And but Iran scored two fine goals uh, from there on. Do they're a good team? Uh, I, I, I said it with with Elliot. I was really surprised at how much of you know how easy it was to break them down for England. And like you said, maybe there were some external factors to consider. But they're really not a bad team, and they're certainly not one that concedes six on a regular basis. And yeah. Against Wales, I thought they were the better team and they'll have a lot of motivation going into the game against the USA, just as the USA will have going to the, going into the game against Iran. So I think this is poised beautifully, actually, um, yeah, because they both need to win, you know, and I yep. think the USA have shown glimpses, Iran have shown glimpses, and it's just about who can find that that little edge on, on the day. Yeah, I, like I thought you, the US were really good against England. Um, the one question is where they get multiple goals from with that side. But the overall play, um, I thought was really good. They gave England a very hard time. Maybe England helped them a little bit with it. But the quality of the play playing through the thirds, I thought the U.S. was really good. Um, and that energy all through the game. Um, is it Musa in the midfield? Um, yeah, Eunice Musa, Tyler yeah. Adams, Weston McKenney, you know, their yeah. fullbacks joined the attack as well. I think they I think they've they've got the the foundations for something really positive there. Yeah, yeah. Of course Iran have had a look at that now, so maybe they're gonna try and close that down a little bit in the midfield in a way that England wouldn't have necessarily felt they had to, but should have. Um but yeah, it's a that's a tough game to call. I mean it the US should have a really good shot at it. And you'd fancy them for it, but like third game, it's all up for grabs. Uh, Iran might be feeling inspired. Uh, they could have other headaches on their minds for, from just the things going on. You you wouldn't know what way that would go. But the U.S., if they can get a goal um, in any kind of reasonable time frame, the way they're playing, the confidence they had, you got to fancy they have a, a great shout, shout at getting through there. Um all right, that's it from me. I think we've we've run pretty long for one of these, but I mean, I kind of blame yourself for bringing up your personal issues a little earlier when I was trying to get on with the football. <laughs> I mean, we had a lot of goals to go through today as well. So we did, yeah, a lot of goals. It's added value, added yeah. value. You know, it's what we do. It's what we do here at the Arsenal Vision Podcast. Yes, well, you can get back to more functioning like clockwork uh, tomorrow on the, the podcast. I'll take my way, myself away from it and you can get back to your normal rhythm. But should be some really good games tomorrow. But 
Uh, Phil, thanks very much for taking the 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 time to chat with me today, and uh, uh, great work on the podcast so far. A lot more games to go for you, so it'll be interesting to see how it it uh, shakes out. Last word: uh, Who are you fancying for the final? I mean, obviously it depends on brackets, but ignoring brackets, what if you have to pick uh, two teams that make it the, there based on? I, yeah. The two best that I've seen so far have been Brazil and Spain. Yeah, okay. they're they're my two, but I think it molds into a four, as we spoke about before, with France and England close behind. Yeah, very good. All right, super. Thanks, Phil. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you very us. much. Yep. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.